Welcome to the Girl Gang Craft Podcast, where we dive in deep to all things business, wellness, creativity, and activism for artists and entrepreneurs. We talk with impactful, female-driven companies and founders for an inside look at the entrepreneurial experience, where you'll come away with tangible steps to elevate your business. Are you ready? I'm your host, Phoebe Sherman, founder of Girl Gang Craft, artist and designer and marketing obsessed. We're here to learn together how to expand our revenue, implement new organizational techniques, and cultivate best business practices as we work towards creating a life doing what we love. Let's get started. Hello, hello, creatives. Phoebe here. Before we hop into our amazing episode with Erica from Housewitch, I want to talk about a couple things that are going on. Number one, introducing Instagram audits. Book an audit with me for $75 and I send you back a video going over your profile and how you can streamline the experience for your customer, attract new viewers and make more sales, ultimately improving your system for your own experience as well. I might comment on how to make your reels grab the viewer's attention more quickly, how to make your covers more cohesive, how to make your profile easier to navigate. Book today at girlgangcraft.com slash audits. Coming up, we are moving into our holiday craft fair season. So of course, we are in Salem on Small Business Saturday, November 26. We have about 50 vendors at Old Town Hall. First 200 attendees who show up will get an amazing tote bag from our partners with a co-branded beautiful design on it that I can't wait to show you all. So come November 26, if you're in the New England area. Of course, we are back December 3rd in Oakland at the Scottish Rite. We have about 100 vendors this time. Same thing applies for those first 200 attendees. You get a co-branded amazing tote bag. It's going to be really exciting with some goodies inside. If you are not in either area, Our holiday gift guide will be up starting November 11th, and that will be online until January 11th. So you have two months to shop this guide of femme forward small businesses. We have like ceramics and jewelry and household goods and witchy things and apparel, all the goodies, and please feel free to pass along the gift guide to all of your friends. We really want to support the small business community throughout the holidays. So that'll be up on November 11th at girlgangcraft.com slash gift guide. Let's hop into the episode. Hello, creatives. Welcome to Girl Gang Craft, the podcast. Really excited today because we have Erica Feldman from House Witch on the podcast. And it feels pretty full circle for me personally to have her on the podcast because I visited Salem, what, like three years ago before I moved here and popped into the store. And I was like, oh, someday I want my products in there. And, you know, maybe Erica and I like, who knows, like maybe we'll be in touch someday. And here we are. I'm living in Salem. We've had coffee. We're on the podcast. She has our This is a Spell pouch in her store. And I'm excited to talk to you in depth, Erica. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for being here. Can you tell everyone who doesn't know who you are, who you are, and what is Housewitch? Yeah, absolutely. So 
My name is Erica, and I am the owner founder of House Witch Home and Healing, which is a shop, a brick and mortar shop in Salem, Massachusetts. And we also have an online store and really a very cool website. I would advise everyone to check it out. You can get their housewitch.com or housewitchstore.com. We have a community page with tons of free articles and posts about spells and magic and the seasons and tarot spreads and just everything that somebody might get if they came into the store just from hanging out and chatting with us. We try to translate that for our website as well. We also have our online magical ritual cleaning products called Counter Magic. And I have a book that I wrote that came out in 2019 called House Magic, Transform Your Home with Witchcraft. So you do so much. (laughs) So I do some things. Yeah. So, okay. I'm kind of interested personally in like, how was your sort of beginning introduction into magic? What did that look like? And how did it sort of grow into what it is today? And I guess that's a really big question, but we'll just start with that. (laughs) And I will do my best to stay focused. (laughs) Anybody who's heard me on a pod before knows me at all knows that I'm a Gemini and I have ADHD. So we may meander here, but you know, basically I think I was just always interested in it when I was a kid. I mean, I was like a lot of people of like my kind of generation. I just turned 40. I was like raised by the TV and movies and stuff. And my favorite movies were always like witch movies. And I'm lucky that my family wasn't necessarily like, we definitely weren't like practicing witches. But it was not a taboo thing. And I did one of my maternal grandpa kind of would call himself a witch. And, you know, my mom and my aunt would kind of say we're all witches. It wasn't an organized thing we were practicing. It was just sort of this acknowledgement of like, people have power to like make things happen. And we believe that in this family. So then as I started kind of getting old enough to like, find my own library books and like look at and do my own research into things and stuff like that. I just was always drawn to the occult and the esoteric. And I would buy like how to read playing cards, little pamphlets in the checkout aisle at the grocery store. I feel like grocery stores were like a lot different back in the day. Cause I also think I got my first book about runes from the grocery store. So anyways, it just kind of grew from there. And then like, kind of like, perfect storm event that happened was that the craft came out when I was 14. And it just like aesthetically was everything I wanted. Sort of community wise, I like definitely wanted like four badass close friends or, you know, three that we would like do witchcraft together. I'm lucky in that I did have a really close friend who also wanted to practice Wicca in my bedroom. So that was kind of that. But then I was actually, and no shade to Wicca or Wiccans, but it did not resonate necessarily with me as much. I didn't come from a place where magical tools were super accessible, herbs and different kinds of candles and stuff like that just like wasn't something I could find in my hometown. And so I kind of fell away from it for a while. And then it wasn't until I realized there was an intersection when I was getting my bachelor's degree in history, that there was an intersection where I could really be looking at witch-related history, which would fold in my kind of like feminism that has also been a part of my life since I was little. My mother is a very, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say radical feminist, but maybe, you know, 
she definitely always was like, I had a girls can do anything sign in my bedroom, you know, when I was like from a baby on. So that was really where as an adult, I think, and where kind of like the seeds of house witch got planted was when I was taking um, like witchcraft in early modern England and just really seeing how this archetype sort of was transformed from being something that people saw as really necessary as part of a community to have a wise woman, to have a medicine woman, to have a midwife, to have all of these things kind of, you know, rolled together. And, you know, the witch contains multitudes. There's a lot of different iterations of that. And not everyone who was persecuted in the witch trials was a medicine woman or a healer or any of those things. But it was really interesting for me to track that kind of from where it went from being this thing that, you know, people really supported and, you know, wanted in their lives to being something that people were being killed for, that communities were being ripped apart for, and ultimately something that did become so taboo. And then in there somewhere, I started practicing again. I just felt a little more empowered, I guess, to like design my own brand of witchcraft, which is what the mission sort of of House Witch is. And what I'm really passionate about is trying to push back on some of this gatekeeping kind of stuff, you know, that really disempowers people because I'm out here at ground zero of witch town, as you know, you know, I mean, this is like where people come to learn more about witches, to understand how witchcraft is practiced. And I think it's such a liberating thing. I want everyone to feel empowered to practice it, to take their own spirituality into their own kind of hands and really be able to tap into their personal power. I want everybody to do that. And what I see from people, again, the the thousands and thousands of people that come through my store every year is that people just feel really disempowered. They feel like they have to have a certain pedigree. They have to have a certain education. They have to you know, know a certain amount about tarot cards and astrology and all this stuff. And so something I'm really passionate about, and I think why House Witch resonates with people is that we just try to do our best to push back against that. And just to say anybody can be a witch if they want to be a witch and witchcraft can look like a million different things and that it's boundless, really. I love all that. And I have so many follow-up questions. But I guess, first of all, is like, what does your personal practice look like these days? Yeah, it's funny. I always kind of have to think about this question because it's so kind of just like seamlessly worked into my life at this point, you know, but I think some of the more recognizable things are just kind of like really putting intention into everything that I do. You know, maybe I'm adding a pinch of something to my coffee in the morning. Certainly adornment, you know, is one. Even, you know, I pick my nail polish color is usually a spell, but, you know, and I do some divination practices. I've recently started starting my day with a little bibliomancy, which is just at random, you know, picking a passage or a page in a book and letting that kind of tell you what it needs to tell you. I usually pick a tarot card in the morning, just to kind of like, what's my energy to bring today? Today was eight of wands, which is like, you know, life comes at you fast. And I'm trying to think. Like I said, the intentionality of it right now, I have an herb garden feels like where a lot of my magical energy is going because just tending to it and being able to kind of harvest herbs. I grew up in, you know, a very urban suburb 
of Chicago. And so I didn't really have a lot of experience with like nature and gardens and growing things. So it's been really rewarding for me to kind of pick that up. So yeah, you know, but I would say just in general, it's like just adding intention to like everything that I do and just trying to align, you know, the things that I do and what I'm doing with a desired result, which I think is like what a lot of people could agree is, is witchcraft, you know, just putting energy towards a desired result. And what I feel like I'm here to say is that like, truly, that can look like so many things. And you mentioned feminism, which is obviously a part of my background and GGC's background. And I find that feminism and witchcraft is so intertwined. And I'm wondering, like, what sort of parallels you see with that, maybe tying it into like, you know, general activism and advocacy. You also mentioned like accessibility for people to access witchcraft. I don't know. What are some of your thoughts on that? Those connections? Yeah, I mean, like, arguably, that's sort of what my graduate, what my master's degree is in. So it's a really (laughs) big topic, obviously. And there's a million different ways that these things intersect, you know, I mean, part of it is just kind of energy and descriptors and labels that patriarchy has put on, like, powerful, knowledgeable women, right? So it's like, if you look back at like, would witches see themselves as witches is like a really important kind of distinction to make because they might not, you know, like witches from mythology or something like that, you know, might not have even seen themselves as sorceresses, you know, they might have just felt like they were just like babes doing their thing. But it's because like they had a thing to do and they were doing it. They become this kind of like threatening thing that then needs to be like labeled with this moniker that or this archetype that instills fear and, you know, needs to be oppressed and maligned. And so it's really messy. It's a messy intersection. And, you know, something that I think kind of disappoints people, but I actually think that it's a really interesting thing to consider is that A lot of people kind of want to believe that there is this like ancient mystical lineage that has come down, you know, especially in like sort of European territory, like a Dianic cult or, you know, just some kind of like overarching coven vibe over the centuries or the millennia that then now Wicca has stemmed from that and we're continuing. And that's not really true. You know, it's just much messier than that. And the political implications of the witch persecutions have just as much to do class reasons and political reasons have just as much to do with kind of, you know, the religious aspect of the church wanting to tamp down on, you know, these sort of pagan earth religions. That's, of course, very important to what was going on. But in a lot of cases in Europe, which is mainly what I looked at, and then Salem is like kind of an outlier. It's not always useful to bring it into this conversation, but it's just messy. You know, there's the religious aspect. There's even more than just the religious aspect though. And this is, I think, where feminism and witchcraft is really important actually. And there's a fantastic book called Caliban and the Witch, which also has an abbreviated version that we carry in the store called Witches, Witch Hunting and Women by Sylvia Federici, who's an incredible academic historian who has tied class and the loss of common land and the loss of bodily autonomy of women in this period of capitalism kind of ramping up. 
So that would be like the early modern period, right before the Enlightenment and the Industrial Revolution. There was this need to co-opt women's bodies so that not only did they like not really have any like control or say or could operate in any way outside of how patriarchy wanted them to operate, but also ensuring that there would be a consistent, reliable, reproducible labor pool to draw from. So those are the really the things that I find very interesting. Once I learned that there isn't really this kind of like overarching coven cult that existed for thousands of years, I had to like let that fantasy go myself. But once I did, and I found where there really is the intersection of feminism and witchcraft and like what the oppression of women and how that lined up with the oppression of witches and alternate forms of lang- like technology and knowledges and languages that were outside of the norm or outside of like Christian patriarchy. That's actually when it got more interesting to me. Anyways, I see the witch as an incredible feminist archetype with tons of opportunity to reclaim really a type of powerful, unapologetic femininity, dark, you know, a darkness. To me, it's the antithesis of this kind of sweetness and light idea, right? Which is like what, again, like Christian supremacy, white supremacy, patriarchy wants women to be. And I just think there's so much opportunity with the archetype of the witch to flip all of that stuff. And again, to feel empowered by turning the tables on that kind of vibe. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all that. Yeah. (laughs) Like I said, arguably like my entire career is about fleshing out this kind of idea and that connection. So it's definitely a little bit hard to like wrap it up into a neat little answer, but I would encourage anyone who resonates with this idea or this conversation to there's tons of really cool and interesting work being done on this now. But I also think that, like I said, the Sylvia Federici, I don't know if you do show notes, but you should, we should definitely link to it because it's incredibly interesting and honestly, so prescient based on what is happening right now just really, really couldn't be more on topic, actually. Yeah. So like today, then, how do you think witchcraft plays in the place that we live in today? Like, how can it empower us individually and also like connect us in community and also sort of like in opposition to the patriarchy and powers at play? Yeah, sure. I think the personal empowerment piece, you know, kind of what popped into my head immediately, which is just sort of like, you know, if you feel personally more empowered in your life to like make things happen, like a, you know, there's the obvious sort of like, then you can maybe make things happen for people, for your community, for the people around you in helpful ways. If you have just more energetic space in your life, because you're not having to face as much kind of like resistance, then I think you just have more energy to be able to confront some of this stuff that's going on instead of feeling really in despair or really helpless. And I think the community aspect of it is what popped into my head around that is like when I first started the store and we started doing events at the store and this community like kind of came out of nowhere and just like blew me away and has become so important to the foundations of like the whole business. But I remember just all of us one night kind of hanging out like after a moon circle 
And we were talking about, you know, somebody was like, oh, you know, I'm really like scattered right now. And somebody was like, oh, well, that's because your mercury is in so-and-so and this is doing this right now. And just the way everybody lit up, like being with a group of people that spoke that language, which, you know, again, that was seven years ago. So I feel like astrology has definitely like had a glow up since then. And so it's a little bit more common. But back then it was like, oh my God, like, I don't have to be ashamed that astrology really resonates with me and that it does feel like more of an explanation for why I'm feeling the way that I'm feeling than like what other people have been telling me or, you know, what magazines tell me I'm supposed to feel like or what, you know, do you know what I'm saying? What the dominant culture basically like supports and says are like real ideas. And I think one of my favorite things about being a witch is that witches just exist outside of the dominant culture, the dominant narrative. I think that's the one thing that can kind of bind all of these multitudes of different ways of being a witch is that ultimately, if you are identifying as being a witch, you are identifying with being an outsider in a way. And from that place, you sort of have infinite ways of being in the world, as opposed to if you're somebody who really subscribes to a more like normative experience. And again, like no shade, like my life would have been a lot easier if I just was like, I want to get married and I want to have kids and I want to, you know, whatever. Um, but that was not for me. You know, I was like, I want to start a witch business, but not saying you can't do both. But I'm just saying that for me, like that place of being an outsider, while it can shut some people down or like make some people feel isolated or like they don't have a place. I think that place is witchcraft, you know? And I think that that is, it really can bring people together around this idea of like, I'm being made to feel like an outsider, but here's all these other people that feel the same way. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of overlap, I think, with queer culture, which I'm also a queer person. So like queer witchcraft is like the best thing ever, basically, because it's just like, we're going to queer the queer. And I just feel like, you know, the problem is that all of these systems that we live under only function by control, right? And so that's the only reason people are subscribing to it <laughs> is that like you have to, you know, or you're told you have to, or you're going to be shunned. Again, in the case of witches, it's like you're going to be shunned from your village and not have any ties to community, which is like people needed that to survive in the past. You couldn't really be like an elderly woman just like out here trying to survive if people didn't want you to back in the day, which again, most of the people who were persecuted in the witch trials were elderly women because society just didn't have a use for them anymore, right? They weren't productive members of society. They couldn't make babies anymore. They couldn't be sexual objects for men. So it's this outsider status that so many people actually feel because again, I don't think the dominant systems like truly work for anyone except like white het this males. So it just strikes me as a really important language and community for people who feel like outsiders to be a part of. And I think way more people actually feel like outsiders than we think. Okay, let's talk about the beginnings of House Witch. How did you start your store? What's the story there? 
yeah, I had started House Witch as a blog about kind of, it was really more about decorating without any money because I've always been a person that's cared about aesthetics and my personal kind of like living situation. But I've also been most of my life as a totally broke person. And so I just really spent a lot of time thinking about and making mistakes and executing and trying different things around making spaces look and feel really good without a lot of money. And then it sort of dawned on me that that in and of itself could kind of be a form of witchcraft. And that also there were all of these sort of like witchy technologies, like clearing spaces and grounding and communicating psychically with your space or your plants or your pets or whatever, that all kind of did work together. And again, I mean, it's a work in progress. I'm always still kind of trying to navigate how those two things get married, but it's obviously something that resonates with people. So I started it as a blog and that was really during the like heyday of interior design blogs, but ultimately like without really resources to just keep redecorating homes, that wasn't going to work. I did not want to take on sponsors because that just didn't feel right to me because I never want to be told what to do. As I've heard as a common theme on some of your other episodes that I've listened to. And so I didn't want GE telling me how many posts I had to do about their light bulbs or whatever the fuck it was. So I didn't know, you know, I like really didn't know. It was just like such a surprise to me that this ended up being my career. But in 2014, I had the idea to make our little spell kits that we still make in the little house boxes. And those just took off. And not in a huge financial way. I mean, we did get orders from Urban Outfitters and Anthropology and nasty gal like right away. But it also showed me right away that that was not actually the sustainable business. But what it was, was a proof of concept. It proved that like I could curate things that resonated with people. I could put magic in boxes and people would buy it. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so actually then right at that point that I met Jesse Susanna, our mutual friend, the money witch, And, you know, just kind of laid it out for her. I had not really put that much thought into opening a brick and mortar store. It never felt like a reality. It never felt like something I could really do. But after talking to Jesse Susanna and going over my finances, and again, a lot of people who are familiar with the business may know my father passed away in 2012 and I inherited some life insurance money that I had just been sitting on kind of being anxious about squandering. And it was sort of like, well, let's put it towards that. So that's how I bought the inventory that I opened the store with, which, you know, if you go back and look at old pictures of the store, it was like empty basically. (laughs) But yeah. And so then I opened in 2015. And again, I mean, it was a hustle right from the beginning because I signed my lease May 1st and then I had it open June 3rd. One of the things that was really important was that when I walked into our space, I could see that there wasn't an overwhelming amount of build out to be done, you know, because again, like I had probably enough money to buy that inventory to stock the shelves. And that was like about it. You know what I mean? And so I walked in, I had hardwood floors, I had beautiful light, it had a brick wall. And that's kind of the moment it became possible, I guess. 
So luckily I didn't need to do much to it. And so I could open it a month later and the rest is history, you know? How is your store different than the rest of the stores here in Salem? It's pretty different, I would say. I think a lot of the stores here are just based in a different kind of spirituality than us. And I also think that a lot of the shops here are just more based on the tourism industry, which again is like no shade. You can totally have a very nice business here in Salem being open like April to November and just running your life that way and great. And who knows, maybe someday House Switch will evolve into that too. But, you know, I'm just grateful that I've just followed the flow of it and our brand resonates with people year round. And they do appreciate the break in this certain kind of very like dark aesthetic that a lot of the other shops have taken on. And again, that's great. Obviously resonates with a gazillion people because all of those shops are very successful. Just not for me. I thought I was really opening like an interior design store, first of all, you know, where I would sell these like little accessories, you know, witchcraft kind of interior design adjacent witchcraft. And that is still what we do. That is what we do. I won't even say, I mean, we obviously think about how to cater to tourists because that's a huge part of our customer base. But it's never how can Housewitch cater to tourists as much as it is like, how can Housewitch make something authentic to Housewitch that will resonate with tourists? And for us, it's really important where we source our products from is really, really important. You know, we don't rely on like catalogs or distributors or any of that. Really, we work with totally independent makers, I would say, I mean, for 90% of what we carry. And so it's actually become one of my favorite things is really thinking about how to leverage this kind of stuff that we can get from those types of people and those types of makers into souvenirs. Because I think people just automatically associate souvenirs with kind of mass produced kind of cheesy stuff. So I love the challenge of saying, you know, how do we make a souvenir feel really authentic, really magical, and again, sourced from a place of being someone's business that they're obsessed with rather than, you know, something made in a sweatshop or something made by somebody who is not being paid fairly for their labor or, you know, whatever it is. That's a big distinction that we like to just point out to people that if you think about where your stuff is coming from, mass produced coffee mug from, you know, wherever is going to feel much different than a coffee mug made by a potter who, you know, is so grateful to be able to do what they do for a living. And this is really their art and their heart and their soul in this coffee mug. How is that not going to feel like a hundred percent different than something that comes from a factory somewhere where people are being probably exploited, you know? I love having the opportunity to change people's hearts and minds about certain things. So it's awesome being in a tourist town because my store is a destination store for a lot of people. And I certainly have destination stores that I go to across the country that I see on Instagram. And I'm like, Ooh, I really want to go to that. But 
the thing is, then you're mostly just getting people who are already signed up for your stuff, you know, or your kind of ethos or your way of doing business. So that's kind of the cool thing about being in a tourist town is that all kinds of people from all kinds of places and to have the opportunity to say witchcraft is about making sure people are being taken care of in their lives, witchcraft is about helping other people, witchcraft is about having fun and being irreverent, witchcraft is about all of these different things. It's really cool. It's like a really cool job. We'll just take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. We spend so much of our lives online. Does that time you spend on the internet feel replenishing and restorative? Make the most of your time in the limitless space that is the internet and learn something new about things that actually matter to you. Engage with your creativity and learn more about music in a new kind of online class. In Kelsey's Play Piano Anywhere, you can learn about your favorite songs and styles of music. No piano required. Opt into creativity and play by following along with the online class Play Piano Anywhere on a piano app, on your phone, or other devices. It's like rock band for adults, except you'll actually be able to play a song by the end of it. Head to kelseyplayspiano.com slash PPA to learn more about learning piano with Kelsey and use the code GGC for Girl Gang Craft for a juicy discount. This class is the perfect solution for folks looking to write off continued education or spending a creative development stipend. Go to kelseyplayspiano.com slash PPA or the link in the show notes and use the code GGC to try something new and make music just for fun. We know the holiday season is just around the corner. Actually, it really like starts right now. You want to make sure you are prepared to get your customers to see your product or offer. We know that social media is a little unreliable, right? Your posts may not get seen by the right people or get seen by the people who really want to see your work. In comes email marketing. I've told you before. I'll tell you again. Email marketing is a must. Email marketing completely revolutionized our business. And we love connecting to our customers in their inbox on such a personal level where we know they're going to see what we have to say. We do have an email marketing class. It is available on our site. And I also want to introduce you to Flowdesk. If you haven't heard me talk about it before, Flowdesk is amazing. It is female founded. It is so easy to use. You can create really eye-catching, beautifully curated emails that are sure to convert your customers. So if you want to have an affordable easy to use, beautiful email marketing system, check out Flowdesk. And of course, we've got a code for you. Check out bit.ly slash GGC Flowdesk, and that'll get you 50% off your first year of Flowdesk. So it's only $19 a month. It's really a no brainer. I promise if you use email and if you use Flowdesk and send out maybe at least one email a month, but let's see if we can get it to one email a week please. And thank you, especially as we move through the holiday season. Let's get those emails out. Okay. But anyways, back to Flowdesk, bit.ly slash GGC Flowdesk, and that will get you 50% off the first year. Send those emails, people. What have been some like roadblocks or bumps in the road for you that you've had to overcome in this business? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I've been really pretty lucky. I would say like I have really been the only thing standing in my own way, which, you know, I think a lot of people will probably be able to understand, you know. I've talked a little bit before about how just like growing up in scarcity and growing older in scarcity has definitely made it hard to just get past some of these blocks around spending money. And, you know, I realized you're so in that, oh, like the spending money never stops. Like you always have to replace the inventory that sells, you know, that a huge part of my job is writing checks or busting out the Amex. And that has been just something that I continuously work on to be able to not, you know, when I see a big bill come through to understand that in retail, that bill is going to end up, you know, making me twice as much or more money, but that's the long term. And in the short term, sometimes it can be really hard. You know, COVID obviously really, I think more than anything, because again, like we were always so supported from our community that we never really got into a place. And again, and I love to be transparent about this kind of stuff. I did take a big loan from the government and that has, that really helped just my sanity in general just knowing that we had that to fall back on, but just the mental aspect of it all. Financially, like I said, in the very beginning, we were very supported by our customers. I couldn't believe really how much people were still supporting us during this like very turbulent time. And then, you know, I got the money from the government and that really helped. But the mental and psychic and emotional like roller coaster, it's just like, my nerves are shot. It's just the nervous system roller coaster that we've all been on these last few years between supply chain and then for us having a brick and mortar. And again, this is like a little bit of a downside of the tourism is like here in Salem and in Massachusetts, a lot of people were very compliant and cooperative with masking and vaccine and all of these things. But not everybody coming here from out of town was doing those things. And so that's when we started getting all this pushback about, I mean, again, and not us personally, but in town, there was a lot of people getting pushback. People could not keep their store staffed because people were being such jerks about, you know, the pandemic compliance stuff. You know, I had the store, the brick and mortar closed for a lot of COVID, the, the really bad spikes, just because we could run the business online. You know, it took definitely more hustling to be able to make enough money with just online. But at the end of the day, the risk of somebody in my staff getting sick, all of us getting sick, which did end up happening once we were <laughs> vaxxed and boosted and everything. So it wasn't too bad. And so then we're always having to weigh like, should we close? Should we bring masks back? Like, do we need an occupancy limit? Like, just all of that. I mean, we've had to jump through so many, it's just like felt like an obstacle course, you know? And so I would say those are really kind of like the big things. Other than that, I've been really fortunate. I mean, we all just have to learn by doing, you know, there have been some staffing snafus, I would say over the years, but I mean, first of all, it's just like parenthood where like you have to keep growing yourself. You have to keep like confronting and addressing your own personal stuff in order to be a better parent. I mean, I think I don't have kids, but that is how it feels with my business, you know, is that in order for 
me to be the best boss I can be to my coworkers in order for me to be the most clear about decision making and where to grow the business and what opportunities to take and all this kind of stuff. Like, I mean, I'm in therapy. I do a lot of self-help work. I do a lot of healing from, you know, my childhood and stuff like that. So again, I think in my case, most of it has just been my own obstacles <laughs> that I've created and have had to work through and heal from and all that kind of stuff. What advice do you have for small business owners who want to open a brick and mortar? Hmm. It is very fun, but it will probably not look exactly like what you think it will. You know, I don't know. I mean, I think just like, honestly, if you're going to open a brick and mortar store, you need to have an online store right alongside of it or don't even bother. I mean, if you're going to try to make a living at it. If you're somebody who has a lot of support financially, let's say, and you want a little cute thing to do because you feel like you're really good at curation and you're really good at styling and you're really good at that kind of stuff, like, cool, you know, then open the cutest, prettiest brick and mortar you can. But if you are really like, I want to grow a brand and a business and I need it to pay me and I need it to pay employees and, you know, blah, blah, blah then you got to have an online store too. And you really have to have a marketing plan because that is going to take more to make work than just like having pretty stuff on the shelves, opening the doors and having the people wander in. So online, I mean, again, like I just watched other businesses that didn't have an online presence struggle in so many different ways during the pandemic. And I was just incredibly grateful that we already had that framework set up for our business because like I said, I mean, it wasn't easy. It definitely, I have an incredible team and we all had to work to shift and pivot and stuff like that. But ultimately, that was the easiest and simplest way to pivot in the pandemic. And we were grateful. And I think just is the world becomes more uncertain having diverse revenue streams is really important. And it's also just really important in terms of like growing your business in different ways. Like I think a lot of people see my store. I mean, I know a lot of people see my store and they kind of try to replicate it. And sometimes that's a little annoying to me. I'm not gonna lie. But the thing I have to remind myself because this is what happens, you know, nine times out of 10 is that within that business, there is actually a different kind of niche that eventually they will find and move into that niche. So I've seen some businesses that did open brick and mortars. And again, they looked a little bit like mine and had similar items and all that kind of stuff. Either they're online only now, or they're totally different kind of businesses because they figured out that like, oh, well, this is actually my zone of excellence, or this is what my customers want, or blah, 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 blah. So I think just don't be too rigid around what your business is and have it be as many things in the beginning as possible. And because you'll need to kind of follow where the flow is. I love it. So what advice do you have for business owners who are feeling like a little stuck and need some motivation to just like keep doing it and keep showing up and keep making it happen? 
that's the only way to make it happen, you know, is that you just, you got to keep showing up. I mean, nobody is going to come along and do it for you. And sometimes that's really annoying, you know, and like, sometimes I see my friends who like work for other people that really love their jobs. And I'm a little jealous that their living isn't their sole responsibility, you know, for sure, you know, but for me, there is no other way. I cannot work for other people. I don't want to be told what to do. And so that means I just kind of got to keep showing up. And again, I mean, during the pandemic, when it was like, well, I don't know what the fuck to do. I mean, like, I don't know what we're doing. This is unprecedented. How am I supposed to lead a group of people through this? But I did. Because again, you know, and I think just being honest about that and just being honest about like, I'm stuck. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where the next direction is. But you know, I have a friend who gave me this great analogy once that, you know, is like, life is just about like, we're kind of all stumbling around in the darkness until a light appears in the distance. And then you move towards that until the next one lights up. Maybe you stumble around in between those two things. And the last thing I'll say on that topic is just the importance of self-care, which like, again, has kind of been co-opted by like some weird energies to where it's now this like eye-rolly kind of phrase but it is really important and it is really important especially if you're in a role like I've been lucky enough to be able to like kind of hire people for a lot of different positions here and so my role now is really as creative director and so I'm not necessarily in the trenches like wrapping up candles for people every day I have but I have to oversee kind of all of it and so I gotta be in my best energy. You know, I got to be in my best place to be able to do all of that and to be able to lead that. It's a really important job. And again, I have to remind myself of this all the time. I'm talking to myself just as much as I'm talking to y'all, but really, you know, I'm trying to write my second book right now. And something I keep trying to remember is like, I don't have to have all the answers, you know, like I have to do research too. You know, I have to read books about witchcraft too still. But what my job is, is to be the clearest channel that I can be so that the stuff that spirit wants me to write about, the stuff that the universe wants me to get out there comes through because that's where creativity comes from. It doesn't come from bashing your head against the wall, you know, trying to like, where are my ideas? It comes from though. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes they have to come from that place, of course, definitely. I think a lot of the best ideas come from just being clear to the messages and the momentum that you're naturally getting from, you know, I call it the universe, but people can call it anything they want. So just taking care of yourself so that it doesn't maybe feel like such a schlep every day, you know, so it doesn't feel like a hardship every day. And also understanding that being stuck is all part of the process. You weren't stuck sometimes, you wouldn't recognize flow when you're feeling it, you know? And that's the other one of the lies that capitalism has told us is that like you have to be creative and productive all the time. Such a lie. Hello. Like there's yang energy and then there's yin energy, and they're both really, really important. For me, I'm in a phase of my life where again, after this pandemic, just my nerve, it's not over, but you know, after the last few phases of this pandemic, turning 40, all this kind of stuff. Like, I just don't have the energy and I just don't have the bandwidth that I used to. 
And that's okay. But that means that I need to create a little bit more space for like yin energy in my life, especially because actually my job is really demands a lot of yang energy, you know? So don't get too down on yourself. Like just, you got to be your own cheerleader, I think when, you know, and that's a really important skill to hone too. And again, when I'm still working with myself, yeah, nobody's going to, no boss is going to come in. No boss is going to come in and tell you what to do, but no boss is going to come in and tell you you're doing a great job and tell, and giving you a pep talk, you know, you have to do that for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And then piggybacking on the, like, sometimes the best ideas come when you're a clear channel. Like for me personally, those best times are not when I'm on my computer answering emails or it's like the opposite of that. Not. Yeah. So like that stuff comes through when you're like taking a shower or going on a drive or going on a walk and those little bits of energy, those are also work, but those are not like head down on your computer. And that is going to be sort of the backbone for that light that you move towards, if you will. So hundred percent, that's exactly, it's interesting that you would like tie those because that's exactly where I've been like sort of the last couple of years, really stepping into this creative director role, having now, you know, I have like an assistant who's like the operations manager. We have a social media person. We have the shop people that work in the shop, like really retraining myself from thinking that answering emails and like bashing my head against my desk is work or, you know, just the more obvious aspects of like, you know, that not working in the store, not packing orders, not doing all these like really hands-on things that work can look like me just like on my porch with my feet up reading a witchcraft book, because that's what I need to be doing to channel my book or not even doing anything like truly I have really started to appreciate just like laying flat on my back under a ceiling fan is like, can feel so good. If you just say, you know what, I'm just not going to do anything. How often do we give ourselves permission to do that? You know, because even if we say we're going to rest, well, then it's like, well, I have to rest this amount, or I'm going to scroll on my phone while I'm resting, or I got to read a book or whatever. And I've been really trying to train myself to just like do nothing more. But again, it's like I say to like my coworkers all the time, like, well, I don't even have anything else to do the rest of the day. I feel really weird and like kind of bad about it. And they're like, first of all, you work all the time. You work more than you even probably know that you work. But as the founder and creative director of this company, like really anything you're doing is sort of contributing. That's a pivot that I'm definitely trying to make. I feel really grateful to be making that pivot. But as somebody who was very much a worker bee for all of their life, so it's just you have to push back so much on so many cultural messages around like productivity and what work is and creativity because. Yeah. Answering emails is the exact opposite of, unless you have really like cool emails, which I mean, I have cool emails to write, but you know, that is the exact opposite of creative energy. Just so many messages to push back against. I think like in addition to white supremacy, it's just like capitalism is just such a hard thing to tease out what is authentic to you, what is authentic to your business and what is just capitalism telling you how to do things and what success is. That's something that we've definitely kind of redefined around here, which feels important. And 
yeah, just like undoctrinating yourself. Is that a word? I don't know. Sure. Um, <laughs> disindoctrinating yourself is really, really from capitalism is really, really important. I think especially for like women and femme identified people, because it doesn't work for us. Like business as usual doesn't work for us. It doesn't feel right to participate in business in the way that dominant culture and capitalism dictates for me. And there's always a lot of tension around that. So, okay. I want to bring it back to one thing about the inbox specifically for me, it's a draining of power. And so it's sort of like the opposite of productivity. It's like the opposite of magic for me, right? It like drains me exponentially rather than me doing other tasks. So the solution perhaps if you can, right, is to outsource. So what does that process look like for you? And like, what advice do you have for people who are thinking they're ready to outsource? Do it. My advice is like always hire. I always hire and get used to delegating. I like joke with my team that I want like a baseball hat that was born to delegate because I kind of don't understand like the resistance to delegating. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Totally. I don't really understand the resistance to delegation that I hear about from like a lot of my colleagues. And again, maybe it is just because I like really was, I don't know. I mean, again, I think it's tied up in a lot of stuff around like what is working hard enough and what is not wanting to seem like the evil boss that like makes everybody work while they have their feet up or like whatever, you know? But it's like, if you don't want to be the evil boss, then don't be the evil boss. That doesn't mean you can't be the boss, period. You know what I mean? So you just got to figure out a way of doing it where you don't feel bad delegating. And for me, what that looks like is that I pay my people well. We co-create an environment that feels good and fun and supportive to work in. And so I don't mind asking them to do the work and they don't mind doing it. And that's kind of the easy answer. And, you know, the other piece of that is just like, yeah, you have to figure out where you can outsource for us. Like we have a customer service email. Like I don't need to get every email about somebody's order being wrong or late or whatever it is. You know, the people that pack the orders and that deal with that can feel that. Paige, my assistant, again, who's kind of like head of operations, plans all our events. So all of those emails go to her, you know, and so just figuring that kind of stuff out. And the other big tip I would offer is just like, don't be in your email all the time and you won't get as many emails. Like when I first started the store, I would check my email like constantly, even after hours, my mother really struggled with mental health her whole life. And it taught me that self-care and taking time away and not overworking is really important to your mental health. That is actually a lesson I learned pretty early on in my life. And I have non-negotiable always taken two days off a week. And now I don't answer email definitely on my days off and definitely after six o'clock when after the store closes and that's the end of my day. When I first started, I was like answering emails all the time. And then what happens is, okay, you answer an email at seven, maybe the other maniac small business owner that you're emailing also then answers that email at 7.15, then you answer that email at 7.30 and on and on and on. And now, you know, I answer emails probably, depending on what they are, you know, but every two or three days. And that means that I don't hear from people then for two or three days. And so it just slowed the entire pace down. 
so I would really encourage that. I mean, it's taken a little while for that pace to slow down, but I've also truly never missed an email that was like so urgent that it caused a problem. Do you know what I mean? I think that's another one of these things. And trust me, like sense of urgency, I think is still really important. And I'm not trying to say like, just relax, man. But knowing where there needs to be urgency and like where there doesn't. And it's like, I'm not doing heart surgery here. So really nothing's that urgent. Everyone's Um, fine. (laughs) Just take it down a notch is what I think is the overarching. (laughs) It would be the simple answer. If I didn't have a Mercury in Gemini, I would have just said like, take it down a notch. But that's really what it is, you know, and just realizing that like you have the ability to calibrate your own business and what speed it runs at and how much work you're doing. And to an extent, you're in control of that. That's why you started a business. So don't let your business run you now. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, this conversation has been amazing. So where can people find you, Erica? So you can find us on the interwebs at housewitchstore.com, which is H-A-U-S-W-I-T-C-H. You can find us on Instagram at Housewitch. I also have my own kind of more personal Instagram account now called Housewitch at Home. On Instagram, we are on TikTok as Housewitch Store. Sorry, double checking that. Yes, Housewitch Store. I like started an account as Housewitch Shop, but I don't do anything because I'm not making videos. And you can find links to all of those things at any of those things. And you can find my book like everywhere, but for me, house magic. And yeah, I think that's it. Thank you so much, Erica. Thank you, Phoebe. This was a blast. Thank you so much for listening to the Girl Gang Craft Podcast. Head to girlgangcraft.com slash podcast for show notes and more. See you next time.